welcome to episode 10, all the way to 10, episode 10 of Crew Shaken, a Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming podcast recorded in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania in the United States. We are recording this in December of the first year of the podcast. I'm your host, Tim. Thank you for joining me back again via Skype. I am very thankful to have two guests, Lavelle and Carlo. Gentlemen, thank you for joining me once again. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. So this episode is kind of different. We're breaking with tradition. Well, we pretty much break with tradition every episode, meaning we might not have very much of a long-standing tradition. But this episode is going to be a year-in-review episode. 2017 was a very important year for the Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming hobby in a number of respects. So we're going to talk about a number of things that happened this year, some things we liked, some things we didn't like. We're going to reflect on how this year compared to 2016, and we're going to look ahead to 2018, and uh, I think we're going to get pretty stoked about uh, what's possible there. So gentlemen, before we dive into our proper year-in-review episode, let's begin episode 10, as we do all others, by talking about hobby progress. Carlo, what's been going on in your hobby progress? Pretty much nothing. <laughs> no, I'm joking. <laughs> um, you know, a- a- after Nova, I had hit kind of a brick wall with it because we did that thing that I think all tabletop gamers do where we prepare so much for a tournament in the last weekend beforehand or the last couple of days or sometimes with I know a lot of our friends, the hours and minutes leading up to that tournament yep. um, that we kind of lose momentum afterwards. You know, we, we say we're going to take a break, uh, for the next week or two. And that turns into the next month or two. And for me, um, you know, my intention, I have two armies now, which I'm not used to having. I had only space wolves for so long and I have Unari now. So I find myself, uh, being drawn back and forth between the two, um, you know, space wolves of my main army, but I, we just played that escalation league and, um, I played Unari for that, and I built a few new models for that. Uh, I built some race Wraith Guard for the last game with the the D sides, um, and they they were a great addition to the army, and they did put in some work. Um, and I've been working on my Reaver jet bikes a little bit. Um, I paint them in a like a corn red color, and been highlighting with a little that uh, Wazdocker red and stuff. But uh, they've been kind of a slow project for me, um, but. You know, other than that, uh, we haven't. I've been working on the. We talked about it last time the secret servitor, which is a little secret Santa thing that we do um, every year. And normally Jason runs it, and he was unable to do so this year. He's been pretty busy, so he he allowed me to run that for him this year. I have a little project I'm working on. I don't want to say what it quite is because I don't want the person that I'm working on it for to know. But I picked up a like a bunch of models that we're kind of already painted and I've got them soaking in, in uh, simple green right now to remove the old paints. And I picked up a new kit that I'm going to kit bash and try to get like a great unique thing painted for this person. So it sounds like you've actually been up to quite a bit of stuff because you have been painting and building and painting new units for your Yanari army, which is pretty awesome. And you have the secret servitor going on. So it's not like you haven't been doing anything. Right. Right. You know, I think as like when you're so deep into the hobby, you know, like we all are, everybody that plays the game, you feel like, you never feel like you're making enough progress, especially on the amount of backlog stuff we have. Sure, you know? sure. 
Um, can can you talk about the uh, additions to your Unari Force for the Radix League? What did you you said you painted some uh, Wraith Guard with D Scythes? Is that right? Right. So I've got some Wraith Guard with D Scythes. They're the uh, so they're an elite choice for the Craft World Eldar, and uh, they're pretty popular among. If you're an Eldar player, you know what they are because I put in some some great. They're a fl- it's a flamer basically. And it's a D Scythe that you know, as opposed to traditional flamers where you're the model is basically shooting out and you know an arc of a flamethrower these things are ripping holes into the warp and and drawing their enemies into it right so it's a it's a d3 flamer it's an assault weapon and uh it's an eight inch range so um you know this is something these guys are they upgraded them recently in the in the uh, codex they were strength five t5 before and now they're t6 which makes them a little bit more durable, which is why I wanted to bring them in. And they've got um, the ability to fall back and shoot, which is amazing. Oh, wow. They've also got a melee attack, which is equivalent to a heavy bolter with, like, D3 damage, basically, which is great. Um, What's their move distance, Carlo? Their move distance is only five inches. But it's an assault weapon, so you can can advance and then shoot at a penalty in an eight-inch range. It's not too bad. Exactly. And uh, the great thing about them, and um, I mixed my Unari list up a bit, so I brought a Craft World detachment so I could use uh, the stratagem from the Craft World codex on them, even though they were a, a Unari elite force in my Unari detachment. Oh, I see. Uh, so you can use any, any Craft World stratagem on a Craft World unit, regardless of the, whether it's Craft World or Unari. So I used a Webway Strike or whatever it's called for Craft World. I think that might be the Drakari one. But uh, you can Deep Strike uh, one or two units for one or three command points um, nine inches away from an enemy unit. Yada, yada, yada. And I brought in them, and I brought in a Warlock, and I used the Warlock to quicken them so they can move that first turn and get it in the Flamer range, which worked out really well because they were able to soul burst immediately after killing what they had first shot at. Sounds awesome. It was a great combo. How did, but, they, uh, how did, how did they do in those last couple games of the league? Were you glad you brought them to the table? Oh, yeah, it was, it was great. I didn't end up the game with a win, but the you know the game was a lot of fun, and they definitely put in their... Uh, I don't often like to compare by points values, but they put in their points values worth of work, great. I would say, for cool, sure. Cool. Any purchases or uh, anything added to the uh, shelf of shame of models you have yet to paint for yourself this month or anything you've read or anything else? Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I did get uh, a great birthday present from you, which is that oh, Stormwolf yeah. Transport. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so cool. That's going to have to – so I've resolved to um, definitely get that painted up. I think you and I are going to have to sit down and get some painting sessions together. Awesome. Um, you know, I, I – I, I gave you that knowing you had another flyer, but I didn't think it was the transport. Was I correct in thinking that? Well, so the great thing about those is that they can either be built as the gunship or the flyer, and I was torn as to whether or not I would. I haven't built the other one yet either, and I didn't want to make that uh, commitment to yeah. build it as one or the other because I wasn't sure how I wanted to use it. But now I can have one of each. Awesome, so that great. <laughs> cool, cool. That's great. And <laughs> another thing uh, that I was gifted recently was, you know, for the Secret Servitor thing was um, Brian Minal had painted me uh, this beautiful Logan Grimnar 
on the uh, on the on the sled. Nice. Well, San- Santa. Santa's of the coming to town. Yeah. Oh yeah. Cool. He's a great looking model, and he magnetized it for the base, so I could use him as a um, on the sleigh or without the sleigh. So uh, you know, that was just a fantastic um, gift to receive, and it's it's amazing how how. Every year, and I see this, people give each other these and paint for each other these uh, amazing models that, you know, it's, you, you can go in and it's, there's no limit on the, on the Secret Servitor thing. And, you know, a lot of people in our group, you know, I think everybody in our group is so generous with, with what they uh, give out. Lavelle, how about you? Hobby progress since we last spoke last month. What's been up? Uh, okay. Uh, we need to start with the understanding this is a judgment free zone. Yes, you're safe here. You're safe. You're safe. <laughs> this, this is a safe space. So a while ago, I got a great deal from, um, Jason he was clearing space off <laughs> out of his closet. It must have been. I got his, uh, Dark Angels Army. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> and so he had it partially painted and a lot of it mounted. And so I had it in the box. And as you know, the codex is coming out. Yeah. So I need to <laughs> you, you you guys hear that, right? Oh boy. <laughs> so I have that out and I'm getting ready to retool and repaint that army. Um I have to decide what I'm gonna do, but I've decided to wait and I think it's this weekend the book comes out. I think you're right, Saturday. Mm-hmm. Right. So I'm waiting for the book to come out and decide what I'm gonna do. They're really, really well modeled. Um, and so I think it's we're, we're really in a style touch-up paint type of mode here. And so I need to get them all under the brush and get them all under one themed army. And that's one thing. And I need to rush to get them cohesively painted. It's a huge army. How big? That's one. Um, I think there might be, I'm going to say, 25 Terminators. <laughs> I think there might be two Lamb Raiders. Oh, that's a lot of Deathwing. Yeah, it's, it's pretty big. It's it's a good army, a drop pod, and there might be, I think, two dreadnoughts. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's definitely a full army. Great. It, it, before he t- turned to the dark side and went to chaos, that's what he was playing. So it's really, really good. It's got a bone theme right now. It's like a bone. So I think I might just touch it up and add a little splash here. Gotcha. And the bases are really, really good. So that's one thing. The other thing is right now I am... 95%, whatever that means, sure, that I'm going to the Nova next year with the Custodes Army. Right. So I'm on the – whatever that means. You yeah. Know that, yeah, I was going to – is that how – that was about the same percentage that you were uh, certain you were going to bring your Tempestas, right? Right. <laughs> and so I'm on the hunt right now for another uh, Talons of the Emperor box set. Oh, okay. And um, I'm going to paint that one up to match the other one that I have. Awesome. And I think I'm going to add a knight, a Forge World knight into that in the same color scheme. Will it be another Serastus? So uh, it will not. Okay. I've been I've been exploring that knight. There's another knight with this huge las gun that a las cannon that I really really like. Sweet. Um. So I'm 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 looking at that, fleshing out the custodies, touching up that. But the real thing that I need to do is, and I t- keep talking about this, I need to stop messing around, and I have it all laid down on my gaming table in the basement and I've got it all sectioned off. I'm getting ready to start touching up and finishing up my entire Necron force. How much work is left to get that to really, to get the whole thing to a point where you're really going to be happy with, with it? What do you have to do? Um, It's not a lot of work on the, it's not a lot of painting on each Necron model. 
it's just so many Necron models. Mm-hmm. Right. So the, the problem that I'm having is if I focus on one job, I think I could get a, any one of those jobs done in a month. Therefore, they should all be done by the summer. That's a doable goal. And, right. That's assuming I, I don't drift off to another game. Yep. <laughs> but these are good problems to have. Those are great problems to have. Yeah, that's great. So for me, I um, I just built and primed a second Contemptor Dreadnought. Um, I cut them up, cut their arms and legs off. This is the kit that was in the, um, I think, the Betrayal of Kalth box set, I think, or maybe the Prospero box set. I cut their arms and legs off and reposed them. They look kind of cool. They're doing different things now. They're not just standing there. One is kind of, I made one look kind of like he was running, and he's like turning at the waist at, at the waist at the same time. And the other one is similar, so they'll be a good duo next to each other. So I built them and primed them. I had to rebase my my knight. I brought a knight to a game a couple of weeks ago, and there was no base in the box. I have a special plastic box just for the knight because I don't often take it out of the house. In that box was just the knight, and the knight had no left foot and no base. So I pretty much it was it was really awkward to play the game with them. We kind of had to estimate how big the base was and all that stuff. So I, so I got around to uh, putting the base and the foot back on that night for a game I played last week, which was the last game of the, the Radix campaign. That was a lot of fun. Uh, played against Jake's Tyranids and eked out a narrow victory, so that was great. Um, other hobby progress includes, and this is kind of weird for me, I'm looking at a couple of them here at my desk. Um, I'm not a comic book guy. I never was. I own like like a dozen comic books, and most of them I just bought in the last week. Because um, last year, I think it was last year, for whatever reason, I, I wanted to get into collecting a Warhammer 40,000 comic that the Titan Comics Company started to put out called Will of Iron. It's a Dark Angels story, and it has the Inquisition in it. It has Dark Angels in it, and... Uh, um, there's some Tyranid action and it's cool. Um, so I got the first four books of that series and then I went to this really cool comic shop just on a lark here in Philly called Amalgam Comics. It's relatively new. I think they opened last year. I know it well. Do you? Yeah. It's, it's a cool space. It's owned and run by this young woman who is a real knack for putting together a cool collection of comics. They have a great coffee bar up front and they have weekly events and it's a neat spot. It's not in my neighborhoods. So I don't get to go there too often. But what happened was I went in there um, and I picked up the next two series of four books each for that Will of Iron kind of thread. It's the same characters. It's a different series. One's called Revelations, and the other is called Fallen. So I asked them to order them for me, and they did, which was awesome. Um, And they did this cool thing where I now have my own box number there, so whenever I order stuff, they just put it right in this box. I didn't know they did that when I placed an order, so now I have a box. So if I do want to get into comic book collecting, I have a place to order them from, which is cool. And I also got these three. These are very different-looking. Um... Dawn of War 3 comics. I guess these were to accompany the launch of the new video game. The art style in these is very different. I haven't read these yet. The art style in these is much more traditional comic book looking than the Will of Iron, Revelations, and Fallen threads, which are a little bit more, I don't know, a little more fluid looking in terms of the illustration style. It's a little more, I don't know, maybe a little more adult, if you will, which we're going to talk about later when we talk about 8th edition. Um... But I've been enjoying that, so that, that was a cool purchase. I was glad I got them. I just read the first one of the Revelations series before we hopped on Skype, so I look forward to uh, 
to reading these. There's this really cool scene in the first one of Revelations where this female inquisitor gets into her her power armor, quote unquote. It's not you know Astartes power armor, but it's her inquisitional inquisitorial power armor, and it's a really cool you know re- it's a really great little sequence there of her you know getting you know like the ritual bath and everything, and then getting into this enormous piece of armor. It's pretty dope. It looks good. Um, other than that, I have been pleasantly distracted uh, by other gaming systems. I am still painting uh, some Shadespire minis. I have purchased even more stuff for Ethereum that I got from Noble Knight Games Online. And those Bushido armies and my Infinity Army is staring, staring me in my face looking for some uh, some attention from the brush. Uh, I took off some time in January, so I hope to be able to take a good couple of days off and just work on those smaller armies and get them you know, to a point where I can at least play comfortably and be proud of how they look with regards to the Bushido and Infinity stuff. Um, but that's been it for me, Hobby Progress Rise. It's been pretty good hobby-wise. Between the Erratics campaign keeping me gaming at least once every 10 days or so, and uh, these other smaller armies to keep me distracted uh, in my little hobby space, it's been uh, it's been good. The last month has been fun and productive. Out of all of those uh, systems that you just listed... Which one right now is your favorite to paint, or which are you looking forward to the most in January? I'm enamored with these Shadespire miniatures. I think they're so good. And on my Instagram account, it's like all I've been talking about is how good these minis are. I mean, you could paint them with, like, finger paints and, like, like baking ingredients, and they would look awesome. The models are <laughs> so good. It's like you could smear them with sidewalk chalk, and it would be like, oh, that's a great-looking skeleton you have there, you know? It looks they, – they're really, really, really well done. I like the game, uh, and the game is made all the more better for me because the models are, are that good. They fit together really well. Um, you can kind of – that's an, one, one benefit of these snap-fit models that GW is into is you can kind of snap-fit them together paint them, take stuff off to paint it apart from the model, then put it back on and see how it looks. So you don't have to commit to gluing it all together, and you don't have that kind of hassle of blue tacking a part on while you're painting it because it all fits together real nice while you're painting it. So I've been really digging that. I've been challenging myself to do to spend more time on the non-metallic metals painting style. So I'm trying to use no metal colored paints, if you will. I'm trying to do all non-metallic metals on everything, which is taking a good chunk of time, but it's fun to just really kind of focus on one technique and see how far I can push it. And each time I do it, I think I'm getting a little bit faster at it, and it's looking a little more, a little more, you know, a, a little more accurate, a little more realistic. So that's been good. Um, but definitely the Shadespire stuff. I look forward to painting the other stuff because I like those games a lot. You know, I really want to get into Infinity this year. I think Ethereum is a great game, and Bushido. You know, the models are amazing. I look forward to playing that. But uh, right now, Shadespire has my attention. Hey guys, as a side note, I have my Ethereum models all painted up. Really, you did anytime, them? You did them? Yeah. Any well, I me in the royal sense. Awesome. <laughs> the royal me. <laughs> yes. Anytime you guys ready to get a game, and I've actually got uh, about three games in. Awesome. What do you think of it? Uh, I like it a lot. I've won one game and lost two games, but I get it. You know. Awesome. It, and Justin and the Kill and Lorenzo, my brother, we've all played, and we. It's a different. A different type of game, and it's it's more of a board game, but it's real it's still got miniature element. It's really really good. That's great, good. I know when Carlo and I played, we really enjoyed it too. So I look forward to more of that in 2017. It'd be nice to get a group of a group of us who play it regularly. I'd be into that. Hey, listen, um, I want to just talk a little bit about PAX. Yeah, um, it was really really good. 
it was really good. I was fortunate. I got a free pass uh, for all weekend, um, and I, I went all, all all four days, and it was really, really good. And I got a lot of chance to observe a lot of different games, a couple of 40K games. And I, I liked the atmosphere. I liked the, the diversity there. I liked everything about what was going on there. I learned a lot of new games. I talked to a lot of developers. I talked to the people from Games Workshop. I wish the Forge World section had more things there. It was really good. I liked it. The only thing I didn't like about PAX is then I left there broke. <laughs> <laughs> because those uh you know the vendors and the and the new game systems and everything are just so excellent and uh, the vendors are such uh nice people that are so willing to you know, take a lot of extra time and teach actually teach you the games that are there um you know you know normally you go to some like a demo for something and even outside the gaming community and people are trying to rush you through and just try to hit as many people as possible but they really a lot of the vendors at PAX really took their time explaining the the uh, their system there and you know that kind of greased me up a little bit i spent a little bit more than i intended to <laughs> i i tell you what you know i went to I, this year i did gen con i did the nova and i did pax if i could send myself a message back through time i would have skipped gen con because all of the things that i was exposed to well there were some exclusives that i purchased at gen con but almost everything that i was exposed to i could have bought at pax right and uh, saved myself the flight and the hotel and um, I, I was very, very pleased, and I hope they do it again next year. I hope they did do it again next year. It was cool they chose to do it in Philly. I heard the convention center space did work out really well. Like It was big enough. It wasn't super packed. It wasn't super crowded. So it, it felt good. The space felt good. Was that, is that correct in your guys' estimation? One of the challenges was people had trouble registering for events because they did not expect the turnout for events to be as, as big as it was. Oh. Yeah, like the D&D events uh, or like the RPG events in general, um, we had waited in line for probably about an hour, I'd say, which is not too long. Uh, maybe it was closer to 45 minutes. And we were about 10 feet from the registration table and they said, oh, we're completely out. So wow, of all RPG systems, not just D&D, not just Pathfinder, like everything. So... Um, that was a little bit disappointing, but I, you know what? They made up with it with all the other great content they had, and you know that's something that they know is was an issue this year, and I'm sure they'll fix it the next go around. Tax promoters are certainly aware of kind of what the gaming community is into in a general sense, so maybe that speaks to a big uptick in uh, how, how people are how people feel about our tabletop RPG games, which is really cool. Yeah, yeah, I think you're saying like. Pop culture, you know, I'm sure we could refer, reference Stranger Things, uh, among many other uh, media outlets, have been referencing these games more recently. And, um, you know, with uh, certain games like D&D and Warhammer 40K and stuff 20 or 30 years ago, you know, people actually looked at them. They were uh, not beneficial to their children, and people didn't want their children playing these games because they thought they were evil. But now I think it's it's gotten out that these games, you know, and gaming in general, it's something that can positively affect um, people everywhere. And they're starting and people are starting to figure that figure that out. And you're seeing a lot 
lot of people who wouldn't normally game start to pick it up. Let me let me throw this at you. This is interesting, and this is going to take us really far afield from our point of this conversation, but it's good. Um, I have you know a lot of my peers. I'm 40, and a lot of my peers have kids who are you know in the you know like young teens and teenagers. They view board games and tabletop games. The, the parents, that is, my friends, they view tabletop games and board games as an alternative to computer games and video games, you know, console video games. And they really welcome that kind of thing because they're aware of this kind of the constant urge for some of their kids to play video games. And so why not sit down as a family and play a board game or get your kid into Warhammer or whatever? So there's maybe a different kind of social twist on their gaming, quote unquote, the gaming, you know, in, in a big sense. So I, I think I think you're I think you're right, Carlo, in saying that it's become more acceptable and even in some cases more desirable because it's an alternative to video games. That's a great point. You know, I think parents want to connect with their children, and I'm sure I would if I were a parent. And the board game is a great way to do that. You can learn a lot about a person just by playing a game with them. And these games help us get to know each other a lot better, and that's why I think we like them so much. Awesome. That was great, guys. Let's uh, take a quick break. We'll be back with part two where we're going to talk about kind of the big elephant in the room, the gorilla in the corner of 8th edition's arrival here in 2017. We'll take a quick break and be right back. Welcome back to episode 10 of Crew Shake, and here we are in our December 2017 year in review episode. Here in part two, we're going to dive into the, the biggest news associated with the Warhammer 40,000 Hobby, which is the launch of the new Warhammer, a.k.a. 8th Edition. They announced it the day that we were playing at the Burke's Spring Assault, I think, which was an exciting day. They had that great teaser video of just the cover art from the Dark Imperium box set, you know, that half-and-half Primaris Marine torso there, which looked awesome. Of course, the rumor mill was alive and well when our 8th Edition came out. Looking back on the launch, looking back on those first couple of weeks of when we knew what was coming and how it was going to change the game, what were our thoughts? Lavelle, let's start with you. Talk to me about your initial thoughts on 8th edition. Um, I, I really can't. When I, thought, when I saw 8th edition, when I, th- when I heard that it was first coming out, I I was very very frustrated with seventh edition, and I was I was it was a jumbled mess. It didn't make sense to me, and I had all but given up on eighth edition. But I had read a little bit about Age of Sigmar, and I had actually I had never played Age of Sigmar, but they had talked about streamlining things. I was concerned that they were going to oversimplify it, but I was really really thinking anything has to be better than where we are right now. And I was hopeful that we would get back to a place that would make sense. That's the only thing I could say. Hmm. And I was, I was really, I was really willing to hopefully get back into the game. I had really stopped playing Seventh Edition, except for in friendly games. What was it about the end of Seventh Edition, if we can call it that, that, that found you so frustrated? Was it just where the meta had gone, or was it particular parts of the rule set that weren't jiving with you? What do you think really got you the, the end of your rope? The rule set was overcomplicated. Yeah. It was overcomplicated. It was constantly, even though I had been playing for a long time, I was still flipping back and forth in the book, still yeah. consulting charts. And every additional codex was overcomplicating it. 
and it was it was create it was almost creating a new set of rules for the next for that particular group. And so it was so that if your codex was newer, you could beat everybody. Right. And I just was feeling like this can't be right. This can't be right. Whatever it was, this if you got the latest codex, you were the winner. You got the latest codex, you were the winner. And that's that was my feeling. And it wasn't it didn't seem to be consistent consistent with the the universe in terms of what each particular race or group should be able to do. I agree. I mean, I think the only exception to that was Space Marines because they're always pretty consistent. What what had come out at the end there? Like the last thing I think to come out were Celestine with the what was that? Gathering Storm. Yeah, right. Uh, series and then uh so celestine had come out goldman had come out uh unari had come out and everything that had come out at the end there was so overpowered i mean you could take and that was when we could still run death stars so you put celestine in a death star and just soak wounds with her gemini and just run around the table mashing things up with her basically you know and yeah. uh I, I always assumed the intention there was to kind of bring the play to kind of this fever pitch, right? Like to bring in these epic heroes and just totally like rock the meta to its core by making it, you know, sort of like so broken almost like they intentionally kind of broke the way the game worked right at the end, because then, okay, we'll take a bit of a break, a bit of a breath rather. And then, okay, here's the new Warhammer. Let's, let's all simmer down a notch kind of a thing. You know what I mean? They like created, they played like good cop, bad cop, bad cop was uh, seventh edition. Exactly. <laughs> right. Right. Can, can I tell you something strange though? Yeah. I was buying all the books. Oh yeah. Because the stories in them were really good. Yeah. Those were three excellent, excellent books from the narrative point of view. Absolutely. Yeah. The Damnos affair was really, really good. Mm-hmm. The, um, there was that story of the blood angels with the Necrons that was really, really good. Mm-hmm. That was good writing. It was good narrative, mm-hmm. but the rules was, was was really, really wonky. So how did the launch level of 8th edition compare to previous editions? What did you like about what? What didn't you like about how it was revealed to us and, and made available for us to purchase? Um, you know, the launch of 8th edition was strange because, first and foremost, the rules were free. Mm, yeah. And I was like, this can't be right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> this this can't be right. Right. Is this the same game? Same company? Right. 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 Does somebody bootleg this? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. Right. And so I got a chance to try it out and I was like, wait, is this it? Is is this it? That's what I was thinking. Is this it? Yeah. Let me try this. And then I, I went through it a couple of times and I was like, this this can't be it. I it has to be more. Right. And so I, I tried it and I put my, my army on the table and I tried it and I I, I, I I got to play with my models and it was it was okay. And everything was okay and everything the the book came out and it was the index that was the game changer because the index put all of my models back in play. It was the index that made me feel okay. Now every I got everything is back in play. I thought that what was impressive about the way they did the indexes at first was that it was and it really speaks to how much work they put into it, you know, behind the scenes, if you will, behind closed doors. It was an epic rebalancing of everything, right? I mean, it was it's really hard to do, but they did it, you know, I think as well as you can by, you know, of course, the point costs change, all the stats change and everything else. But right out of the gate, it, it all of a sudden was, uh, was it felt like a level playing field without killing any of the kind of the style of, of everybody's armies. Let me tell you this. Masatan used to be great and mighty. Mm-hmm. And they weren't anymore. But for some reason, I was okay with that. 
Right. <laughs> I was okay. I was okay with that because that I could. It, it all fit together. So, Carlo, as a Space Wolf player, um, you know, a, an army that gets its own codex that has its own, you know, very distinct look and feel. Um, how did you feel about having a, an index right off the top? How did it change from seventh for you? And how did it feel? Uh, how does how does it feel not to have a codex yet? Almost, yeah. I think with the the index, I I love the changes that that uh, had occurred from seventh to eighth. Uh, with Space Wolves because it allowed the army to be a little bit more versatile. Mm-hmm. I think in 7th, and I talked about this before in previous podcasts, we had gotten stuck in a rut of the Bark Star, where you run you know, uh, a bunch of heroes and some Thunderwolf cavalry and a Death Star with some Fenrisian wolves, and that's pretty much what any Space Wolf player was running. And some of my more favorite models, like the Terminators and stuff, weren't really that viable uh, because they were very expensive and they were pretty easy to kill. Um, I think back in 7th, they only had one wound. I mean, it seems like forever ago now. Uh, it really hasn't been – it's been about a year since they started talking about releasing it, right? Yeah. So yeah. maybe even less less time because I think it was about April when we started getting those um, – question and answer sessions with the creators that they were posting on Facebook. And I remember all of us had, we had made that Facebook chat and all of us were in that Facebook chat posting every single day. They would post um, like an update or like a kind of a setup. So, uh, but I did, I did like the changes because, you know, I think gray hunters were good again. Terminators were good again. Um, Marines had, had become again, uh, very, um, durable in certain situations, so they make great objective holders. Um, the cavalry weren't as overpowered as they used to be. Um, Wolfen got a little bit of a nerf, but I, they're still a, a, a fantastic unit to run. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of Space Wolf players right now might be a little, feel as they're a little bit behind as we've seen a Blood Elf, I mean, not Blood Elf, ugh, Blood Angels Codex come out yeah. <laughs> and the Dark Angels Codex coming out. And we're the last. We're going to be the last uh, codex out of the non-chapter um, Marines will be coming out, and uh, you know I don't really have a problem with it because I think they did a great job with the index balancing the wolves against the other armies. Is, and is there no one else left? Uh, in terms of Space Marines, I don't think so. The only thing that uh, we don't have is we don't have any like a fluff section really. You know, we don't have the beautiful artwork that comes in the codex, which you know we can't wait to see. And uh, we don't have Layman Russ. So right. I think a lot of people are waiting to see which Primark. And I think they had talked about releasing one more Primark in 2018 or so. I'm not sure how true that fact is. But um, uh, people are waiting to see if it's Lionel Johnson or Layman Russ. And you know, I would love to see Layman Russ because I, I love that uh, Forge World model for 30K. Yeah. And, uh I'd contemplated getting that and using him, like proxying him as like a wolf guard or wolf, uh, which I'm going to lord. You know, they they said um, I've been reading a lot of spoilers and they said that the blood angels, I'm sorry, not the blood angels, the dark angels book in the book. They confirmed that Lionel Johnson is confirmed to be asleep in the rock. Hmm. In the book, he's supposed to be confirmed there. And they believe that everybody's saying that either Vulcan or Lionel Johnson will be is supposed to come back in the spring sometime at an early part of 2017. So I guess the uh, the the um, the salamanders 
will get a codex. So it's the Salamanders and the Space Wolves. It'd be cool if the Salamanders get a book. Yeah. Oh, are they not in the Space Marine Codex? They the are. Salamanders? But they are. Yeah. Well, you know, if the Lionel Johnson is in prison, he's asleep in the rock. He's asleep so in the are, rock. So Sean Connery and Nick Cage are going to have to go get him out of there. That's that's exactly <laughs> what's going to happen. I, I think it's been it's been option for a movie already. <laughs> so in terms of the actual physical stuff that was made available to us to buy, meaning the uh, you know the Dark Imperium box set, um, looking back, I'll start this part of the conversation off. Um, at first, I was really you know I was really glad to have it because I was sorry, stoked. Tim, Tim, yeah. I'm sorry. Was the Dark Imperium box set an eighth edition? Yes. Okay. Dark Vengeance was seventh. Dark Imperium was eighth. Comes with those the Primaris Marines and the um, uh, Death Guard. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So it came with these Primaris Marines. I was looking forward to painting them up and you know putting them into my Iron Hands army somehow. I was going to paint up the Death Guard and you know give them to my brother or give them to somebody to play with. But I found myself really not stoked about the Primaris Marines at all. From the art style in the books to the way that they look painted up, I'm just not. I can't get on board with building a single one of those things and trying to find a way to work it into my army. I remember the day that it came out and we had an event at Red Caps, which is our gaming store here in Philly. Somebody had, you know, cracked open a box and glued up one of the Primaris Marines real quick. And then, you know, we started comparing the size of them next to regular space Marines. I can't get it excited. I can't get excited about them. I can't get excited about the repulsor tank. I like the big new dreadnought, the redemptor dreadnought. I like that. The Reavers, the Aggressors, the Intercessors, this Repulsor tank thing, even that big Forge World Primaris tank they put out. I don't know the name of it. I'm just not excited about them. So the entire contents of that Dark Imperium box, I bought it. The I took the rule book out. I took the red dice out. I took the little handy, like the quick sheet, you know, that cardboard printed edition of, or version of the free rules. I have that out. But the rest of it is just sitting there in the box, which I'm kind of bummed about because it, was, it wasn't cheap. So the I think one the one person that in our meta plays them as a full forces joke, right? And uh, I think oh. we, and he he played with you as a partner in Killicans, right, Lavelle? And he had he had played that army with you. He did. He does play. He well, he plays. He he has integrated the Primaris into his Kingbreakers army. Hmm. Let me right, say right. that that's that's what he does. I think that day he had played a full. Primaris list with a knight oh. or something, and it looked pretty good. Um, I think the weird thing about it that doesn't sit well, I know at least for me, is that um, and a, a lot of people were scared with them replacing the traditional re- Marines, as see- seeing this as like a thing where they're going to phase out mm-hmm. the old model Marine and bring these in. Um, but I think the weird thing for me is that both of them, like that they exist as a separate unit and are not a replacement. Because it's it's hard to believe that you have this genetically engineered super soldier that the Marines are, and then they've made something even better than that now. You know, we've got, like, Terminators, which are supposed to be super strong, and, like, regular Marines and stuff. And they, they've created this new Marine, which I think is hard. And I, I haven't really read a lot of the fluff on it, but it's like, you know, if the, if the Emperor couldn't do it right the first time, you know, kind of, it's like, uh, oh, how good actually was he? Right, of a leader. Right, did as radical. You know, but does the, <laughs> yeah. does the fluff say that they were already created but not opened? They were created by Belisarius Call at Gilliman's command. You know, 10, at, yeah, at, at the end of the heresy, really. Yeah. yeah, but just kind of in stasis someplace. 
Uh, no, he didn't. He wasn't able to perfect them until recently, I think, in the, in the story. He's been on Mars uh, the whole time. And it is it is just the addition of a few more organs to existing space marines to turn them into Primaris marines. So I think once the once he perfected the technology, once he perfected the the, the, the technique, he was able to distribute it amongst the chapters, and and they were all able to get to work with it. I, and I think to your point, Carlo, I think no, you know, you're right. There, they weren't. They're not intended to replace because there's no heavy weapons, Primaris Marines, really, right? If you want a rocket launcher, you still got to take a tactical squad with a with a special weapons guy. They're limited, and I think intentionally, so that people could still field the Space Marines forces that they are the uh, tactical Marines forces that they already had in place, which is good. When Eighth Edition was murmured to be under on its way out, people were talking about the uh, Age of Sigmarification of 40k, meaning might be a little bit lighter, might be a little quicker. Um, might be easier to pick up for the first time. In your experience, gentlemen, Carlo, let's start with you. Is 8th edition any faster, or is 8th edition any faster than 7th, I guess, is a good place to start this part of the conversation. Well, uh, speaking as an extremely slow player, no, no. So traditionally, I think in 7th, I remember the games being about four hours, because we start playing, you know, when we come into our games on Thursday, we start around 6, we end around 10. Uh, around 10 right yeah, yeah so and that that stayed consistent through in the eighth edition you know um i think i think you're spending and i uh, i remember talking about this with uh in our meta you're not spending as much time looking rules up as you are playing the game which is an, a major improvement yes you know there's more dice rolling there's more um you know, tactical movement. You could spend a little bit more time thinking about how you want to place your models, what you're going to do on the next turn, um, and less about reading through rules and having um, disputes about how a rule is supposed to be followed through with. You know, because I think that was a major headache with Seventh. Was a, there were a million rules that were sometimes hard to find, and every chapter had its own variation of certain rules or their own invented rules in the newest codex. I know when Wolfen came out, um, you know, they had two charts that came along, along with them with the hunt kill table and stuff. And you had to keep track of all that every turn. So, you know, it's nice to see everything get simplified to a point where you could spend more time playing the actual game. I agree. I think the, the elimination of those universal special rules that were so, such a big part of seventh edition has made the game feel like it's, quicker feel like it's a little bit lighter because there's a little bit less to have in your to, a little less space taken up by the rule set right in your mind so to your point you can you know uh, spend some more time with just looking at the at the tabletop and getting more tactical Lavelle, how does it strike you so here is what i think i think the game has the same time regardless of the size of the game therefore if you play a thousand point game, the game is going to be the same amount of time as if you play a 2000 point game. A lot of it has to do with that, um, that morale phase. Interesting. The way it whittles units down. I've noticed that I've, I've watched a lot of play on TV and I notice how larger units become smaller units faster. Right. Right, and I also noticed it's because it's harder, it's easier, no matter what the unit's toughness is, it's easier to still damage that unit. 
no unit is absolutely invulnerable. So I do notice that it's I played a couple of games. I've been playing Mike Ultramarine Mike, who's now Space Wolf Mike. And him and I have been playing a private campaign and we have been playing we started at two thousand, we've gone up to three thousand. We have been playing on weekend nights up in Phoenixville and we've been playing larger games, but we still have been playing a game in the evening, no matter what the time. In addition to that, the turns on each side, the only thing that's causing the turn to lag is discussions. And it's not discussions about rules. It's just, hey, did you notice? It's discussion, like friendly discussion across the table because we're not referencing rules or anything like that. It's really, really streamlined in that. I think the games, the game very rarely calls for you to pull out the book. So I would not call it quicker. I would use the word streamlined. The only thing that I really wish we could get some sort of automated list builder that can print a list out that's organized. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. one of the one of the things. Looking at the 2018, fingers crossed that GW gets hip to that and gives us a really easy to print list builder. Yeah. Right. And you know, before you know, with the whole bunch of rules changes, this, that, and the other thing, you know, it, it was it was more complex. That complex had to do with the game as opposed to the tactics and strategy. So let's we'll fast forward a little bit. We talked about the launch of Eighth. We're all fans of the way the game plays. I'm not a fan of the new models, but moving ahead a little bit, the rate of change with these new codexes coming out and everything. How has that struck you guys with the with the release schedule, Carlo? How do you feel about the way they're doing the codexes, and how do you feel about the kind of how the, the game is evolving over the last year? I think it's great that they're putting them out so quick. Uh, it's keeping everybody really excited and motivated to play. Um, in previous editions, I know it had been a large gap of time between codex releases and it would sometimes uh, demotivate certain armies, and uh, people that are fans of those armies. So um, I think the one thing that I have an issue with for myself at least, because, you know, it's hard for me to multitask between books and my head. I, I don't know how quite to say it, but uh, all with rapid change like this comes a lot of facts. You know, we've had a lot of FAQs released from GW, which is great. I'm glad they're keeping up with the um, their audience and responding to it by releasing these FAQs. But it can sometimes be a little bit kind of uh, a little bit cumbersome to flip back and forth between all these sources i know we had just talked about you really don't need to check in the book a lot but when an faq is has recently come out and not a lot of people are aware of it i myself you know sometimes i read them once or twice it doesn't stick in my head perfectly sure. so i have to go back and consult the 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 web for that uh to read it i think that can sometimes drag the game down a little bit let me say this here's my concern first of all i like the codex coming out like this but here's my concern. What happens at this pace? Uh, let's say by June, they're done. Then what are they going to do? Yeah, what do you think? What do you think happens then when they don't have a thirty-dollar item to you know on average thirty-dollar item to sell us every yeah. month? Well, what's next? What, what do you think they do then? Ninth edition comes out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. That's a good question because I'm sure it's not an insignificant part of the monthly returns. Maybe they go back to like the the um, the gathering uh, was it the gathering storm yeah. expansions like that 
Yeah, I would love to see campaign books. All right, so may, maybe they, they do that with models and model updates or something like that. But, um, you know, what they have – I think what they've demonstrated now, is, what they've demonstrated is their ability to reinvigorate the hobby um, to I, – I, I wonder if they could see how many players they've reengaged um, because, you know, when they re- reengage those players, those players are being, buying paints, paintbrushes. Yep. Um, you know, the whole thing as they come back into the hobby and that's got to be worth something. And just the, the general, um, uh, action within the community has got to be worth something as well. That's true. So let, let's fast forward even more and let's talk about chapter approved. Okay. Let me give my opinion and tell you what I've heard. Mm-hmm. I like the chapter approved book. I liked a lot of things in there. I instantly flipped right to the, uh, Necron page and screamed, woohoo. And I instantly, <laughs> I got the chapter approved on Tuesday, played a game on Wednesday <laughs> and used the new stratagems against Joe. Nice. <laughs> and Joe was like, what, what, what? And, but I had left my book home. So I put my phone on speaker and had Justin read it to <laughs> over the phone. So he could see, no, this is what it says. Read it. And it was very, very critical because it allowed my canoptic race to get reanimation protocols. I was expecting some uh, kind of soft additions to each of the armies, but some of those stratagems and some of those relics really are game changers. Hmm. It, it's kind of cool for them to release that in the chapter approved book for a lot of those armies. You know, I did like that. Now, what I do agree, I do agree that some people are saying, hey, we just got this edition. Why are you giving us a chapter approved now? But I agree with the thinking that, hey, we're going to get a chapter approved every December. And so let's do it every December. Just because we put the new edition out, that doesn't mean we don't put the chapter approved out. So I like – there are new missions in there. There are new changes in there. I, I like the chapter approved. I also like because now we have new missions in the chapter approved. We, we have more ways to play. And I, I like I like um, I like having more ways to play the same game. I, I like the chapter approved. How did you feel about the price of it? What was it? Twenty five bucks or something? No, it was more. Than, I think it was, it was thirty nine. Oh my god! Yeah, that's a little much for it. I think. Um, like the indexes themselves are only twenty five dollars, and I can't imagine that it was that much more expensive to print than the indexes. But it did have, I guess, more color pages to it. I was going to buy it list price at Red Caps, right? Get to the counter. I'm thinking it has to be less than one of the indices because it's it's a it's a little book. It's not a big book. It's like a it's like a magazine, right? Right. I mean, it's I'm, it was it's it a was, hundred and twenty it was, pages about. It was thirty five dollars. So essentially, it's a thirty five dollar magazine, of which I'm going to use regularly two pages of me. Of course, the collector in me wants to have the book. You know, I want to read every single page. I'm going to digest it all. I'm going to get into it, right? I was ready to spend $25 for the enjoyment of, you know, getting all the new ways to play, getting those two or three new stratagems or whatever that I needed, and walking away happy. But I bring it to the register. I said, this is $38.50. I said, you know what? That's just – it struck me as a, a, a tad expensive, even by GW's standards. And, you know, we're, we're all in the hobby. We're all, you know, spending a ton of money on, on plastic space dollies. So it's, all, you know, it is what it is. But for some reason, that, that one that one struck me as, a, as, as too much money to spend. I'm, I'm trying to figure out how much the index was, even though that's not really necessarily a lateral um, look there. 
I think the indexes were twenty five dollars. They were twenty five each. Yes, they were twenty five each, which was like blew my mind because I found that to be very inexpensive. Yeah, for for yeah. that for what it, it brought. Yeah, um, yeah. It's just like you know, give you a little taste, so you keep coming back. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's what it is. it's like. Yeah, thank you, sir. May I have another, sir? You know, and, and then here we are spending thirty five dollars for a book with fewer pages, um, and arguably less. Uh, useful material for most of us. Yeah. The, um, yeah, the first index book was $25 and it was 224 pages. You know, I got to tell you when I got the chapter approved, when I was reading through the chapter approved, I was definitely looking at what I got, but I was also looking for what was going to be across the table for me, from yep. me. What I was thinking was, yeah, this is what Grant's going to be trying to do to me. <laughs> the fan of the game side of all of us wants to know all that stuff, and that's that's all good and fine. But if you really want to be a competitive player uh, in this game, you have to learn the ins and outs of every army and know what you're going to go up against, and so you know what to expect in each situation. You but know, to do that, you have to spend a fortune. Let me ask this question of myself: Why am I doing that with this edition? And I've never done it with any other edition before. There's something about this edition, edition right here that has me engaged. I'm playing more of the game, of this edition of the game, than I've played of any other edition ever. It's a great question. Why this one? What, what is it about this one? It's easy to play. It's easy to play. When I get down and I'm playing the game, I don't feel like I'm taking a college calculus course. <laughs> That's what it is. I don't feel like I'm struggling through a calculus course. It's easy to play. And when I'm when I'm after a game, I'm not mentally tired. I'm enjoying myself playing and I'm feeling like, you know, and at no point in the middle of the game am I thinking, please let this be over, right. even when I'm getting smacked in the face. Yeah, I was thinking about that like you were saying even like the the varying point values you go from 500 up to 2000 point games or whatever and they all seem to be relatively the same length i feel like those games also feel more thematic you know and i think that's why it's more fun to play too I, for some reason i don't know what eighth brings to it but the the fact that it's more streamlined allows you to see the game more as a, like a story that's being told yeah you're, you're free to jump into character maybe a bit more if, uh, on some small level yeah so so let's talk about that. How do you feel about the narrative changes to Eighth? Do we feel like the galaxy is kind of closing in on humanity? Are we getting this sense of heightened urgency that the uh, you know the Gillum's return and uh, and and uh, the Mortarian's arrival kind of adds to the the landscape of the game? Are we are we feeling that as we're playing it? Do you, are, are we into that? I know I'm I'm scared of those guys when I go up against them on the table. <laughs> you know? Yeah, for sure. Like, I, you have feel- to think. Yeah, I'm feeling like I'm feeling like man is done. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah we're done. This is, this is the final days here. Yeah, I think I think the uh, the noose has, has tightened. You know, the wrench is getting uh, the, the screws are getting tightened, which I think has been good because I agree with you, Carlo. I'm certainly not that you're in character really when you're playing the game, but you do feel this kind of this pressure. You know, there's a bit of more there's a bit more narrative pressure. I think around the game now, which, which I'm certainly enjoying. Right. Like, and they're, they're not, you know, those models aren't particularly impossible to deal with, 
either. I think they've done a great job balancing them, but they do have an imposing presence on the board. Yes. And you have to deal with them. I was watching um, something that's saying it was saying, you know, we have Motarin, we have um, Magnus and, you know, we have Gilliam and, and it's just not enough. And, you know, if Lionel Johnson comes back, who was supposed to be a master tactician and strategist, then the, the, the Imperium of Man has a chance. If Lionel Johnson and Lemon Russ comes back, well, now things are shifting back in a good way. You know, even if Vulcan comes back, now we're talking something. Now we can do something. You know, and then all of a sudden it looks like we have a chance. I don't know. I mean, the Tyranids are just going to eat everybody at the end of the story. So, I mean, (laughs) that's how it all ends. (laughs) I'm going to tell you what I was listening. I was listening to one other uh, something on on YouTube. It was saying that the Tyranids were actually bioengineered by the old ones and sent back into this galaxy to clean everything out so they could come back. I was like, whoa, that's that's pretty deep there. That's heavy. Yeah. (laughs) Thanks a lot. You look at the Tyranids in a totally different light. Like, oh, are these actually the good guys? Uh, like, <laughs> I think you had talked about this the other day, right? And you, right. the theory the theory was that the Tyranids were eating people so they could preserve their DNA. Not the way I want to go. <laughs> <laughs> in a big, bio, a big bio pool of acid? <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'll pass on that. Not for me. Um, so does 8th edition feel as grimdark? I think, on, I think in one sense it does – narratively it does right like i said before we're feeling that pressure of uh humanity is, is is under fire from all sides continuing to be under fire from all sides and everything is closer to terra meaning the the dissolution of the imperium as we know it the art style for me has become less grimdark um i think the illustrations around the primaris marines they don't feel quite as nasty don't feel quite as mean don't feel quite as hopeless which i guess is intentional on the designers parts but how do you guys feel about that that question? Is eighth edition as grimdark as seventh? Um, I think the primary the interjection of the primaries is supposed to make it less that way. It's almost like, um, hey, there's hope with the primaries, and the um, the grimdark side of it is the space marines. Yes, they are supposed to be the new hope kind of characters. Right. You know, these these are the new knights in shining armor, and they're going to illuminate the galaxy with the with their new special bolter fire. Yeah, so they'll show the space marines the way it was supposed to be. Carlo, how do you feel about it? Is Eighth Edition as grimdark? And if if it is, is is that better? You know, I it's hard for me to say because I'm not quite the lore master as mm-hmm. uh, you know some of you guys are, but um, I think it feels less so. Because in the last 10,000 years, you know, the Imperium and, you know, had had spent a lot of time trying to regain their lost technologies and there was no hope. You know what I mean? They were they were fighting uh, to the last to the last man. And now you have the Primarchs coming back and you have support coming back to them. And it doesn't quite feel so much like a lost cause. It's a hard balance, right? Because at, at, at one point, at one time, you're trying to get new players in, which they've done, a, I think, a really good job of these new introductory products, right? You have the uh, uh, first strike box, and there's another box that are – there's like a $20 box, a $40 box, and an $80 box of, of stuff that you can just snap to fit and build that's colored plastic, and you're in. So the art on those boxes, I think, is a little bit more younger audience friendly, right? Just like those Battle for Vedros boxes were. 
it was space marines versus orcs and it was very much in a comic book style the art doesn't look very much like the grimdark 40k art that we've come to know through the other releases um so I think 8th edition is unique in that they have refocused their efforts on bringing younger, newer players into it and making it a little bit more visually accessible for them and their parents. So I understand I understand it from that point of view to, to grow the hobby, right? And I think Carl, I think Lavelle has a good point in saying that, you know, the, the Primaris Marines are not supposed to be as grim dark because they are this the, the you know, the new a new hope for the for the Imperium, which is which is which is true. Um but there's a part of me that misses the the hopelessness. You know, there's a part of me that misses the uh uh, the, the the odds stacked against us nature of the uh, the Imperium of Seventh Edition. Um, narratively, you know, I, I really liked Gathering Storm books. I have yet to read the Dark Imperium uh, novel that has come out, but I have a couple of the other novels on my table, uh, getting ready for me to read them. But I'm, I'm sure it's still there, you know. But in in the in the codices and in the rulebook and in the, and everything else that's come out around it, it feels slightly less so. Is it a bad thing? Not necessarily, you know. But it's a uh, it's just different. I'll say that. I do have to say that the uh, the repack, some of the repackaging has helped out a lot because I remember when I first started 40k, and I went into the like some game shops to take a look at it. It was so like you'd go to this like dark corner, and the packaging's uh, the the old packaging, you know, from I don't know when the last time they did it uh, had remodeled it before Eighth Edition, but was was so uh, just dated. Hmm that you'd feel like you were picking up a game that was made at 40 K's creation, which was like the eighties or whatever, right. you know? Right. Right. <laughs> like, that's yeah. a good point. That's, no, that's a good point. And maybe I'm contradicting my, what I said earlier by saying this, but I do really like the new, uh, some of the, the new death guard packaging, how it's just like the icon on the front of the box. And the box has this kind of weird, kind of rusty and decrepit and, you know, infected kind of appearance to it. There's, there's something cool about that. Yeah. This is, um, an attempt not to dissuade new players because, you know, it is a fun game and they don't want people to think it's depressing. Say, Hey, come on and play. It's great. The galaxy's burning. Everything's fine. (laughs) (laughs) It's nice and warm in here for you. Cool. I think that was a good look back at 8th edition. Let's take a quick break and we will come back and we'll talk about uh, some general hobby look back at 2017 and uh, move on from there. Stay tuned. And welcome back to Crew Shake in episode 10. We're looking back at 2017. Let's do a general hobby look back. One thing I wanted to talk about kind of outside the actual release of 8th edition that I really liked about the Warhammer 40,000 tabletop wargaming hobby was the, the the revamping of White Dwarf magazine. I'm really into the battle reports. I don't play Age of Sigmar yet, but I, I do read every page of those AOS battle reports. I think they're cool. Um, they are full of new uh, painting guides, which I don't necessarily use, but I just like to see how they do their thing. I like the fact that they're featuring a lot of reader models and a lot of Golden Demon stuff towards the back of every issue, and all the sidebar stuff. There is there, each each issue is just like it's just full of little bits to to digest, which which I really do like. It's an eight dollar or ten dollar magazine, whatever it is, that takes me more than one sitting to get through, and I, I find a lot of value in that. 
I don't buy White Dwarf. I used to buy White Dwarf. I used to have a lot of White Dwarf magazines. I mean, I used to. They used to, um, I, when they had a couple of other games, I used to be in um, Battlefleet Gothic. Hmm. They had scenarios in there, and I'd buy White Dwarf for that. Um, but I haven't bought White Dwarf in quite some time. I highly recommend it. Even in the last issue, they had new cards, um, new cards for Shadespire, new cards for uh, Hero Quest. Which is a card game, a Warhammer, Warhammer Quest rather. They are throwing in like new content. They actually had new Space Hulk scenarios in the most recent White Dwarf where you could use Gene Stiller cult models versus, you know, Terminators, which was really neat to read. I've I found it really cool and, and I've been enjoying that. Yeah. I'm um, kind of an extension of that conversation is, uh, the Warhammer community page and the Twitch channel that the Warhammer community folks have put together. I do subscribe to the Twitch channel. It's $5 a month. I don't watch it every week. I don't watch it. I watch it maybe, you know, 45 minutes to an hour a month. But the content is really good. It is well produced. They're enthusiastic. There's always something to be gleaned from it. They uh, broadcast every Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, AOS, Warhammer, and then other stuff. I'm I'm totally into it. I think that was a great addition to the, the hobby scene in 2017. And I see them continuing it because every time you can log in on Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern time, and there's always a bunch of people in there watching. There's always a conversation going on in the chat box. And there's always something interesting, whether it be an author interview or a game, you know, a, 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 game, a battle report or something. Or There's just always something cool happening on there, and I do like that. I like that they have their own, in as much as they're able, their own television channel through that as an, a way to communicate with the community. Can you subscribe to White Dwarf online? I think you can get it on iBooks. I might check that one out. But you don't get the cool little tidbits in the digital editions that you get. Right, you're not going to get the extra models and cards and all this stuff. Yeah, right. Right, and I thought that was one of the really cool things that I know last year they had put out like a slaughter priest with uh, one of the um, editions and you know, it was really cool to see people you know, they took that model and they used they kitbashed it with other stuff for even some 40k models. I know I saw people like the that, that model is a really great looking um, mold you know what I mean? So, and some other stuff that I liked about the hobby in 2017 was the the rate at which uh, Black Library was putting out books. Um, I thought the uh, con- the continuation and conclusion of the Beast Arises series was really cool. Um, I like the fact that uh, they're redoing the they have like a year end uh, holiday thing where they give you shorts and little pieces of audio dramas. They started that up again. Um, they have a great new uh, uh, Gaunt's Ghost novel in this really great box set. It's not cheap, but it's really cool. It's called the war master comes with like a, a dog tag and like a map and a flag and all this stuff. I'm like super tempted to buy it, but it's a little bit expensive. I don't know. Um, so I think, I think, I think on all fronts between, uh, the Warhammer community stuff between the Twitch channel and some of the stuff that black library is doing with the, 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 the Primarchs special edition novels, they're $65 a piece. They look awesome. Come in a box with this great, kind of gold edge around the outside and the binding looks really cool and the you know embossed covers and everything i mean for 65 bucks it's a it's a cool that's a cool thing you know that kind of stuff i'm I'm into that stuff i like i like buying the books listen on the warhammer community page there is this ongoing series that's written as a series of communications to the imperial guard that is absolutely hilarious. Have, have you? Do you read yes, that? Yes, love it, love it. <laughs> <laughs> it is so good. It is like trust your commas are. Yes, yeah. <laughs> they have a bunch of articles <laughs> like that. 
The regimental standard. The is regimental called. standard. Yes, they make the bet. They make the worst news sound as good as possible. <laughs> Great news. We don't have to worry about Cadia anymore. Right. <laughs> That's... Maybe if you tell me the bad news in a good way, it won't sound so bad. That's exactly what they do. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Exciting news, guardsmen. Your detachment will shortly be getting reinforced by none other than the Dark Angels. Right. <laughs> this is a fortuitous occasion, indeed. <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> everything the way they describe it <laughs> and they have this flow chart for if you've been shot yeah that's right what to do it's so good it's so good yeah. i love it Twenty eighteen, things I'm looking forward to. Doing season two with you guys as my co-hosts. I'm super excited about that. Um I'm also looking forward to this new thirty K rule book that was it was supposed to be out this year, but then apparently there was a problem with the printing. Um they had an issue with actually making the books that didn't work out. Uh so I'm looking forward to that coming out sometime soon because I'm a big fan of the Horace Heresy novels and I'd like to be able to play some games in that. Uh, kind of part of the uh, of the narrative that'd be really cool um we have new primark models maybe model models maybe to look forward to next year um i think the guessing game and the anticipation of that happening is kind of uh, part of the fun right because anytime such a big character is brought back into the game or brought into the game the narrative shifts and things happen and campaigns have to be developed around the arrival of that character and that's always cool. It's always cool to move the, you know, to move the ball down the timeline a little bit uh, with with the arrival of a new big, uh, big character like that. And I know Carlo, you're stoked about the Space Wolf Codex coming out at some point. Oh yeah, I can't wait, and uh, I'm interested to see. You know, they gave us some really cool stratagems in the chapter approved book. Uh, there's one that allows us to shoot bolters as if they were pistols in the shooting phase Ooh. if you're in close combat, and then. Now you can deep strike infantry units. Uh, well, you can outflank them six inches on any board edge. So you can put Wolfen in your opponent's back line at the start of the game, which is really deadly. Um, yeah, so I'm excited to see how they can um, upshow those additions. You know what I mean? Because they've got to be planning some pretty nasty stuff for us, so I'm happy. Guys, I think, it's, I think we've done no, a pretty good job. Say that last thing. Say that last thing that we're waiting for. Oh, your custodies captain. Lavelle, I know yes. you're excited about this new custodies <laughs> model. Yes. Talk, talk to me that about is, this. That's right. The custodies is getting an HQ, and I can't wait. So how's that going to work? You know, the Bella Lost Souls had a model out, um, and he looks awesome. And at GW, they, uh, they, 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 sneak peeked a, a shoulder pad with a lion and everybody thought it was going to be Lionel Johnson mm. but it turned out this model and it looks like it's a Captain General a HQ for the Custodes and it looks like he's going to be coming out soon and it's going to give the Custodes their own HQ which is going to allow me to run a full Custodes that's what I'm banking on yeah. that he's going to be out soon 
that's going to make custodies great again. It's going to, it's going to be so awesome. I am so hoping he comes out soon. And that's what's going to allow me to run a full custodies army at the, uh, the Nova open, man. It's going to be great. I, that is what I have my arms, my fingers, my legs, everything crossed for, man. <laughs> that is what I'm waiting for right there. I don't think they're going to go the full, distance and give it a codex or anything like that but just that many will be what i need to allow it to go full because if they give me a a, a, a warlord trade i oh right guys but cool. i am really really stoked for that and i i'm expecting that the fact that i see a mod on the um the bella lost souls right now and no, it came out, I mean, it, it was out in November on the Bell of Lost Souls. I think we could be looking at a, a model mid-January. Awesome. So, yeah, I'm really stoked about that. I'm excited for you now. You got me on board. This is going to be great. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> it's going to be awesome. When, when we walk into a trumpet's plan. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, let's talk about uh, plans for Season 2 of the show, which will begin uh, in January. We want to do make another 10-episode arc of Crew Shaken. And I'm stoked that you guys are both on board to uh, to be regular hosts uh, of that show. And we'll, of course, try to bring in some specialists to talk about special topics as needed. But I'm, uh, I'm, I'm glad you guys are on board to be a part of the show coming into 2018. So, you know, we're making some changes to the podcast. We're going to be going over a lot of new stuff coming up. We're really, really excited about making sure that the podcast stays fresh, stays new, we're going to be uh, adding some new regular segments where we talk about upcoming events and tournaments that we're going to be doing. We're going to be talking about new rule books that's coming out. Talking about, uh, we're thinking about adding a segment about 30k. We're getting a lot of interest in 30k in our local meta. Lavelle, you're a big one for bringing new players into the game. So I think if we do, we had talked about kind of developing a segment around new player experience stuff, kind of soup to nuts, like new to the game types of things. Um, uh, I think having a a way to respond to new players, a way to interact with new players through Facebook and to encourage that interaction is a good move for, for Season 2, what we're going to call Season 2, which is our 2018 season. Um, I also like um, I, I like the, to return to like a, a big narrative deep dive into the fluff every episode, which we've kind of gotten away from for the last couple episodes, but I do like the idea that it forces us to kind of do a bit more research and a little bit more prep before each uh, episode to kind of get our ducks in order of what we're going to talk about and how we're going to talk about it. Um, I also like, because I know we're all keen to play other games, I I would like to throw in a a short, a short uh, segment on another gaming system altogether, just to mix it up and to maybe introduce some other folks to some other things that uh, either they not may not be aware of or maybe to shed some light on some things they are aware of but haven't heard enough about or whatever, you know, just just to mix it up a little bit and uh, and have a new element in there I think is really cool. There's a lot of games out there. I don't want to turn this into a, a general gaming podcast because there's plenty to talk about in the 41st millennium, but I think diving into the Horus Heresy and uh, some other games too would be a, you know, a really cool thing to bring to the, the podcast. I think, you know, along those lines, spending a little time, we do a little bit here, spending a little time talking about some of the ancillary games workshop games. We talked a little bit about, um, um, I'm sorry, just drew a blank, uh, Inquisitor. 
Oh yeah, sure. We, right. Mm-hmm. We could talk about. We could spend some time talking about Battlefleet Gothic. Yeah. Some time talk about um, uh, Space Hulk. Yep. Or the um, the game that I have and I, I really enjoy the Assass- Assassinorium game. Yeah, the Assassinorium. We can talk about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. we can cool. talk a little bit about these other games that people may have and they may not have had a chance to play. I'm looking forward to that new player section myself. I always feel like I'm a new player, regardless of how, how long I've been playing the game. Uh, it could just be my skill level. I don't know, you know, but, uh, it's so great to, to learn. And I listen to a lot of other 40 K podcasts and watch some YouTube channels and stuff. And I always learn something new. And a lot of them do have like a new player section. And it's, it's, it's always good to, to, um, learn a little tip or trick here and there. And, uh, I, I'll be happy if we can help somebody out in that way. I think we did a good look back at 2017. I'm excited to get reorganized and reinvigorated for 2018. I'd like to thank our audience in 2017. We had a few thousand listeners in 2017, which I'm very grateful for. And I hope to be able to grow our audience and provide more back to the Warhammer 40,000 Wargaming community in 2018. With that, for Krushagen, I've been Tim. I'm Lavelle. And I'm Carlo. Thanks for listening. We'll see you in 2018. Have a great holiday, everybody. 